Just a reminder, and for those of you who were not here last week, we are moving through this book by Pete Gregg, um, How to Hear God, and uh, I want to encourage you either by, by buying the book itself in the real copy or the audible or online copies also available. I was going to read um, Luke 24 now, the whole road to Emmaus thing, because that's the framework of the entire book. But I think you've got it, haven't you? From, from the trip this morning. Thanks, Mark. I'm going to preach each Sunday from a chapter in the book, but I'm not really wanting to just regurgitate everything that's there, because the idea is that you read it and you mull over it, and that it's actually something that you look ahead. So this week we're looking at how we hear God through Jesus. Next week we'll look at, at, at the Bible. But I want it to be an interaction between you and the book and all of us with, our, uh, with an openness to Jesus. And I think the place to start, I want to stand over here so that I'm not so far away from you. The place to start essentially is right where the book begins in saying that we have to establish what this is about and why it's important. And the essence of it is that if God is God, if He is this trinity of love, if He is the creator of the universe, if He is who He says He is, that He sent His Son, as we've celebrated, as we've sung, to uh, take form as we are, in, be incarnated, to die on our behalf, to redeem us, forgive us, set us free, make us whole, heal us, save us, make us new creatures. If this is true, and that's what we believe. And also, if when we look at uh, what he does with Adam and Eve, what he does with Moses, and you know the list goes on, but just to give the example, is that he creates Adam and Eve, and he wants to walk with them. On the road to Emmaus, he, he draws alongside the two people, and even though it says they didn't know who he was, he comes to walk with them because he wants to have conversation. Now, if fundamentally that's who God is, it makes this issue, this topic, probably more central than any, anything else that we, we look at. Because when you look at a marriage relationship, when you look at two people who are living together, that are united in some form of intimacy, the most important thing is that they learn how to converse with each other. They learn how to communicate. They learn how to integrate their lives with each other. And I think what happens with us and God is that we have some sort of distant relationship with him, and he wants to walk with us. And that's, in essence, what this whole thing is all about. And, and I think that why this story is so pivotal and why it's so powerful is because not only does it show so many different forms of the way that God communicates with, with the, this pair of people, but it also is, it starts off with a fundamental uh, look at who we are. Adam and Eve messed it up. Moses messed it up as you go through the thing. This, this couple, this pair of 
disciples who are on their way to Emmaus, they didn't have... Okay. To grant them this, it does say that he was... It kept his uh, identity from them. But even when their hearts are burning within them, even when he is explaining, even when all the stuff that's happening, they just kept missing it. They kept missing it. And I think that there is a subtle but powerful thing at work within the church that we need to just tap on the head right at the beginning, is that you have to get things right. You can't be vulnerable, you can't get things wrong, you can't mess up, you can't do things wrong, or you judged. The church is an unrelenting place often for messing up. And when it comes to hearing God, we're scared to do things because in case we get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. How many of you do Wordle? Okay, a lot of you do Wordle. Did you know that there isn't, I don't know what they call it, but you don't have to wait for the next day kind of Wordle. You can hit repeat and do it over and over and over again. Now here's the thing about Wordle. You get it right, and you get it right, and you get it right, and you get to 10 right, or 100 right, or however many hundred right. When you get one wrong, your 100% figure disappears. And it doesn't matter what you do after that, you can't have 100%, can you? You see, that's the point, actually, with hearing God, is that you will get it wrong. You will hear wrong. If you just read the way that the disciples had Jesus with them, right physically with them, and he kept saying to them, if you've got ears to hear or eyes to see, and even if you go to Revelation 2, I think it's three times in that chapter it says, those who've got ears to hear, let them hear. With Jesus right in front of them, because of their culture, because of their history, because of their prejudice, because of their fear, because of one thing or another, they kept getting it wrong. Spectacularly sometimes. And when it comes to hearing God, this is not something that you just get right like that. Because here's the thing, and I think this is also essentially really important. There, there are different ways to hear God, because God speaks differently. He speaks in different ways. For Paul, on the road, it was a blinding light and a voice from heaven. And in some ways, we wish that that was our experience every time we had to make a decision. A blinding light and a voice that says, this is what you should do. 99.99 times, it's far more subtle. It's far more like the road to Emmaus, where Jesus is actually walking alongside us through the whole process. And things are happening. The Word is being explained to us, Sunday by Sunday. Day by day as you read your scriptures. There's all kinds of things. In other words, what I'm saying is, you are hearing God more than you actually realize most of the time. And that God will speak to you in a variety of different ways. I'm convinced, and here's another thing that 
with hearing God, this happens in the church a lot, is that some people get more and more clear at hearing God in a particular way. And then they say, this is how you hear God. Give you an example. I'm a generally shy, retiring, introverted person. And I experience God as an interior thing most of the time. I'm not an action person. I don't... So, so my preference is to be contemplative, to meditate, to be quiet, to sit still, that's, and, and just observe. That's, that's me. And I will often find God in a thing like that. I know somebody else who is like an energizer bunny. And they do their reading and their prayer and their uh, contemplation when they are running flat out after about 8 or 10 k's, it's even better. There's like, they've got to be busy. They've got to have physical activity. In the book, there's a story of the school in Australia, uh, St. Joseph's, where they had... Um, Hear it, see it, do it was their motto. And they thought because they're a Catholic school, they should have it in Latin. And they translated it to audio, video, disco. <laughs> and in a sense, the point that I'm making about all of this is that God speaks to us in ways that we can actually hear. And don't be forced to, to think that you're only going to hear God in a particular way. The other thing that I've noticed over many, many years is that just when you think that this is how God speaks to you, He will change it. And I, it's not that He's perverse or that it's, you know, He's trying to teach you something new. It, it has to do with a, a critical core issue in terms of our relationship with God, is that it has to do with trust. And the best way I can describe it is like this. I've thought about this a lot. That, you know the Greek myth about rolling a stone up the hill. And when you get to the top, it rolls down the other side and you roll it back up again. You know that story or not? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Sisyphus, for those of you who didn't hear. But the point of, the point of it is this. Not that there's perpetual um, frustration. But the point is that you have to trust. Just when you think that you know how God speaks, I will bet you that he will change it. And just shift it up a bit. Because you have to live with a deep and profound sense of humility and, and, and vulnerability and openness and risk. That's what faith is. The risk to hear God. And as you go through the book, we'll look at prophecy. We'll look at how we hear God through our culture. But the point being this, that he speaks to each person because you are a different personality. Sam is very different to Cecil. I'm very different to Gail. And, and, and that God knows who I am. And God knows what I need, and He will speak to me. And there are things that I tend towards. I know there are people here who are far more visual 
and who see with pictures and who see. I, I, I hear, often hear, scriptures. When I, I was walking in the forest one day, I was in my first year of university, I was at a Christian youth camp in the holiday. And as clear as night and day, Jeremiah 1 and verse 6 or 5, I couldn't quite work it out. I, I hadn't a clue what it was. When I got back to where I could get my Bible, didn't have phones in those days in our pockets, when I, and I opened it, uh, it was about, basically, I have known you since before you were conceived. I've known you when you were in your womb. I've consecrated you since then. And like that, it popped into my head. My mom, when she was carrying me, said her prayer was to God, whom she didn't even know who he was at that stage. Whatever is th this is, I commit and give to you. And, and it was like a flash. It, well, anyway, that's my story. But the point is that God speaks to me in ways that I can actually understand because there are different forms of personality, different forms of experience that we've had. I hope you get the picture of what I'm trying to say. All of these ways and others, God speaks. And when he wants to change it up a bit, he uses a donkey. And he spoke to Balaam. I think the fundamental thing is that we have an attitude, a desire, a passion to hear what God has to say. Now, I've completely messed up all my notes here. Um, let me just say two last things. Well, the, the, the thing about desire, let me just finish that. that and let me just read this. This is also from Jeremiah, but it's a different place in Jeremiah. Here's, here's Jeremiah 29. This is, we often read this because we like this first bit. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. And we think, yes, God's got a plan for me, a future and a hope. Oh, great. You see, God already knows the plan, but what he wants to do is he wants to let you in on it. He wants you to know what it is. So it goes on to say this. When you call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There's a couple of stories in the first chapter here which talks about the centrality of Jesus and the whole process. Is that it's, it's about a desire to hear what God is wanting to say to us. Do you really want God or not? That's at the base of all of this. And that's what I was saying last Sunday. Do you want Jesus? And that's, that's what is central here. Does God speak through the Bible? Spot on. Does he speak through prophecy? Yes. Does he speak through dreams? Yes. Does he speak? He speaks in all these various different ways. But it is always the encounter with Jesus that is critical and central. If you have someone come and say to you, and we've had this to deal with in the church in the past, not fortunately in the last few years, but God told me that I'm going to marry you. People going to one another and saying, and fortunately one of our friends says, well, he hasn't told me. 
<laughs> when, when you hear someone saying, this is what God is saying, and it doesn't look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, sound like Jesus, then be very, very careful. Because Jesus is, is, is at the center of this, our encounter with who he is. Not some thought that you get in your head, not what, some doctrine or idea or nice sermon. What's important is what happened at the end on the road to, to, to Emmaus, is that when he broke bread and he gave it to them, their eyes were open. They said, our hearts burned in us. They had an encounter with the risen Christ. That's what it's about. Last two things. Number one, time. We are in an absolutely frenetic instant society. Jesus has all the time in the world. And what he wants more than to tell you and offload a whole lot of information into your life to tell you which road you should or which parking you should take, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants you. And when you come to give yourself to him, and he will give himself to you. And so, again, it's this whole thing. You pray once, you pray twice, you pray three times, and you haven't seen it. And so you say, this doesn't work. I, I really honestly believe what's being tested is not your patience, but your heart. Do you really want to know Jesus? Do you really want to have an encounter that turns your life upside down and changes you? That makes you more like Him? And then finally, there's this. And this is just a practical thing. And it's mentioned in the end of the chapter. I hate calling, no, that's a strong word. I do not like calling what we do on Sunday worship. It is part of it. But when we label this thing, and especially when we label the, the singing bit, we label it worship, what we do is a disservice to the rest of your life. And I want to encourage you, if you want to encounter Jesus and you want to hear what God is saying to you, then you need to practice worship. Not only on a Sunday morning, and not only singing, but the more you give yourself to worship, the more you will find you will encounter the risen Lord. And on a Sunday morning, I know there's some of you here who like all different genres of music, from classical to jazz to gangster rap. Genuine. Some good stuff out there. Really good stuff. Also some rubbish, but point is, we cannot decide to do gangster rap worship next Sunday. Neither can we do classical. We just don't have the means or the capacity. And anyway, it's just, who knows what it would look like. So there is, a, there is a common denominator that we come together with. And you know what? It may not be, if it's your style, that's brilliant. But if it's not, 
Live with it. Because this is famine. And when you go, I, I ask permission when I go to my daughters to, to butt in on their Spotify playlist and play something. Because it's not my house. And we come and we, we, we worship together, both in the singing and in the communion and in the listening to scripture and listening to the preached word and chatting between things and listening to the kids' story. It's all worship. But I want to encourage you to continue worship when you leave. If you want to hear the voice of God, worship. Worship. And so, practical thing. Most of you have got some form of thing on your phone, whether it's Spotify or something else. Make a playlist. Mark's got a playlist that he shared with me that's got like a hundred and something songs on. I do not like some of them. But it's fascinating because I hear stuff there and I hear attitudes and I hear words that I wouldn't normally encounter. And I'm, a, I'm opened up to something that I wouldn't have experienced before, and I meet with God. So there's no real point in what I'm saying this morning. It's just this whole sort of rambly flow, and if you go and read the chapter, you'll get most of this. I just felt it's important for us to say right at the beginning, this is a journey. And it's a journey not about... I now know about prophecy, I now know about the Bible, I now know about something else. It's a journey into a deeper intimacy and relationship with Jesus that takes time, it takes commitment, it takes energy, and is nurtured by things like worship and stillness and other things. So I want to invite you, again, as I did last week, look at Jesus, be intimate with Jesus, learn to worship again and again.